What's interesting about the University of North Carolina is that we are the first public university in the United States and have really been a pioneer of public education in a lot of ways. But the idea of public university was always a little fraught. Of course, when, when UNC was first founded, it was an all-male college, as all colleges were at that point. And the idea of sort of women in, in higher education particularly was a somewhat taboo topic. That's Sarah George Waterfield, a graduate student and teaching fellow here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. In this episode of Well Said, Sarah talks to us about the champions of women's history at Carolina, a topic she has shared with many visitors while leading campus tours. At the turn of the 19th century, women were considered intellectually inferior to their male counterparts, even incapable of grasping the basics of science or math. Many doctors even reported that too much study was damaging to a woman's health. Now, imagine you're one of Carolina's first female students. It's 1897, and you can count your female classmates on one hand. There were five female students in that first class. Mary McRae, Luli Watkins, Cece Rowan Dodd, Dixie Lee Bryant, and Sally Walker Stockard. And so they were they were groundbreaking and they were pioneers in being in being among that first class. Now, the problem is that over half of those first students did not graduate. Quite frankly, they were not treated as students on campus. These women were not allowed to live on campus. They were not allowed to graduate in the same ceremony as their male counterparts. They weren't even allowed to sit in the class pictures um, with their male counterparts. Um, there was no particular place for them on campus. It became more and more clear that one of the real stepping stones for women being welcome and equal on campus would be this sort of fight for residence halls um, and this sort of fight for physical space and presence on campus. Because they weren't allowed to live on campus, Carolina's first female students were traveling great distances to and from the university each day, which seriously cut into their study time. Despite all this, they quickly began disproving the theory that women couldn't keep up with their male classmates. In 1900, Marsha Louise Latham won the Holt Medal, the highest award in the math department. In 1915, Cora Corpening became the first female student admitted to the medical school. And by the early 1920s, they had established their competence, but they were still considered mere visitors to campus. Then came Inez Stacy, the university's first dean of women, who set out to provide female students with the housing they deserved. Inez Stacy took it upon herself in 1921 to design and build the first specifically female student dorm on campus. That was Spencer Hall. And of course, there was a lot of backlash to the idea of building a specifically female dorm on campus. Spencer Hall was a significant victory considering the time period. But in the late 1940s, strict rules of conduct still governed the day-to-day -day lives of many women. And the women of Carolina were not exempt. During this time, a new dean of women entered the scene. Her name was Kitty Carmichael. She herself was just known as a force of nature on campus, and she was a proponent of capital S, capital W, Southern womanhood. 
And so she would be rumored to drag girls by the ear back to their dorms if they were wearing shorts or pants. She put her stock in very much following, following the rules. And there were a lot of rules. If you were a female student moving onto campus in the 1960s, for example, you would have received a copy of a book called A Guide for Carolina Coeds, which listed out hundreds of rules on everything from proper attire to the areas of campus where women were and were not allowed to visit alone. You had rules saying a Carolina co-ed wore skirts and blouses for everyday wear, Heels and suits must be worn for football games. She did not wear slacks or shorts, which were actually not even permitted on campus until 1967. Um, And even then, they were not to be worn in the library, classrooms, dining room, or South Building. We look at the Guide for Carolina Coeds, and it seems so restrictive and so oppressive and so out of touch. But Kitty Carmichael was really trying to think through the fact that because the position of women on campus was so tenuous to begin with, the behavior had to be exemplary and there could be no excuse for taking away any of the ground that had been gained. Women had made progress, but there was more work to be done. Inez Stacy had paved the way for female students to live on campus, and Kitty Carmichael was determined to move women toward acceptance in higher education. Inez Stacy was really fighting for that first sort of step into campus, um, for that first recognition that women could even be educated in the same way. And so her measures really focused on this idea of we just need a foot in the door. Kitty Carmichael was functioning in an era where the foot was kind of in the door, although the door had been slammed on the foot several times and there were like broken toes happening. But she was really fighting for a sense of legitimacy for these women and fighting for a sense of legitimacy for female students during this time of intense social change and unrest. That period of social change which included significant anti-war activism and a push toward racial equality, would move Carolina into the present day. Because while Inez Stacy, Kitty Carmichael, and all the female students of Carolina had fought for their place on campus and won, there were still more challenges to come. The status of women on campus continued to be fairly tenuous until the explicit passage of Title IX in 1972. Title IX was passed in the wake of the Civil Rights Act um, because women were the one group who were specifically left out of the Civil Rights Act and this equal access to education specifically. Um, We think about it, I think, mostly in the public public consciousness in relation to sports teams because that's where it was most kind of immediately visible. That was really the moment when female enrollment in colleges jumped up dramatically. It allowed their admittance into institutions of higher education on an equal basis as their male counterparts, which had not been guaranteed before. The first year that female enrollment at Carolina surpassed male enrollment was 1978. It took only six years 
after the passage of Title IX for us to begin to get to that almost 60-40 split that we consistently see today between women and men on campus. In the years that followed, the campus saw greater integration of male and female students. In 1985, the student body elected its first female president, Patricia Wallace, and women would continue to make significant contributions to the campus community every day thereafter. What I really see on campus and in this history of women at Carolina is a movement from being concerned with how we would be talked about on campus to thinking about how we want to talk about ourselves. And in that transition, I think we're really seeing a trajectory that is hopeful and that is optimistic, um, even as we continue to think about these issues. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Well Said, the official storytelling podcast from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. If you're interested in learning more about women's history at Carolina or about other parts of Carolina's history, check out the Visitor Center for more information and guided campus tours at unc.edu visitors. Do you have an idea for an upcoming episode of Well Said? Send us a tweet at UNC or shoot us an email at wellsaid at unc.edu. You can find Well Said wherever you get podcasts. So we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. See you next week.